There's many people here today. That's a wonderful thing. There are many of you watching online. And we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different upbringings. We all have different opinions on things. But one thing I think we can all agree on. 2020 has been rough. 2020 has been hard and difficult. From COVID-19, the last eight to nine months uh, of just going across the world, shutting things down. Uh, COVID-19 being the cause of death of so many people. It has shut the economy down at times. It's forced schools to go virtual. Parents, you've had to figure out how to help your kid do virtual learning along with work full-time. And then, we're talking about shutdowns again. It's been a difficult year. Not to mention COVID, how about the fact that we just went through one of the most brutal elections in U.S. history? And it's brutal because it caused such a big division in the country. Hatred, division is seen everywhere. There's been rioting. There's been all kinds of things that we've experienced in 2020. And this is what we all have in common. What about your own personal life? From broken relationships to your own health scares to your own hurts, 2020 has been rough on all of us. And I was thinking about all this this week, and it led me to this question. If you could change one thing right now that would bring you peace, what would you change? What would be the one thing that if you could just change this one thing, it would bring you peace? If you were to ask the Christians living in in, uh, 90 AD, the answer was obvious. Get rid of the Roman government. Get rid of Domitian, the emperor, because Christian persecution was seen a second wave. 30 years before, around 60 to 65 AD, Emperor Nero was on the throne, And that's when the first Christian persecution really uh, had a big outbreak. And uh, they saw all the disciples of Jesus be killed for the faith except for one, and that was John. John survived, but now in 90 AD, Domitian is on the throne, a second wave of persecution is coming through, and John gets exiled to the island of Patmos to live in solitude. And all the churches are beginning to wonder, is it worth following Jesus? Is this worth it? Because this persecution is too much. It's in the context of all of this that John has a vision while on the island of Patmos, and that vision's been recorded for us, and we know it as Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. And it's a, it's a revelation because what God does, what Jesus does for John is he pulls back the curtain and he says, John, I want you to know what's happening now and what will happen in the future. And he gives them all sorts of pictures and all sorts of visions to see what's happening. But it's in this introduction to the book of Revelation that Jesus addresses seven churches. And uh, here's a slide for it. These seven churches right there, you see Jerusalem on on the right hand side of the screen? The seven churches in Asia Minor Jesus wants to address. And so he appears to John and says, you're going to address these churches, but first, let's get something straight. Let's figure out who I am. It's to these churches that John is talking to, 
and that John addresses as he opens up his letter with Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. He says, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God, serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Did you notice how John starts his letter to those churches? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. From where? Not from changing circumstances. Not grace and peace because the Roman government's going to be overthrown. Not grace and peace because you're going to go from poor to rich. Not grace and peace because COVID-19 is going to go away. Not grace and peace because... Uh, your presence going to be on uh, uh, ruling in Washington, D.C. Grace and peace, not because your relationships are going to be reconciled. Grace and peace from he who is, who was, and who is to come. From the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus. Grace and peace from God the Father is what he's saying. Grace and peace from the Holy Spirit a little weird, the, the seven spirits around the throne. Uh, it's a weird title for the Holy Spirit, not used very often, but uh, it's also referenced to that in Isaiah. So the Holy Spirit, and then grace and peace from Jesus, who is the ruler of all. This is where grace and peace comes from. It comes from the throne of God. Not from circumstances, but from God's throne. Now, I could say amen and, and that be over, right? We know where peace comes from, great. And some of you might even appreciate that. <laughs> but we haven't answered a couple things. Number one, we haven't answered why does peace come from the throne? And number two, we haven't answered our original question, what would we change? We just know where, grace come, or where peace comes from, the throne. John answers this for us. Number one, he says, Grace and peace from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Here's your first point today. Jesus is the king over every king. Every authority, every force of nature, every spiritual authority, bends their knee to Jesus. Bends their knee to Jesus. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There is no one greater than him, no one better than him, no one more powerful than him. He is on his throne, and every single authority bows to him. Some people see Jesus as the baby in the manger. Some people see Jesus as walking along as the poor, humble man. Some people see Jesus as the innocent victim hanging on the cross. But John saw Jesus as he is. The King of kings 
the all-powerful Lord who sits on His throne. And so the question for us today is, how do you see Jesus? Do you, when you picture Jesus, do you, do you picture Christmas Jesus, the baby in the manger? Do you picture poor, humble Jesus walking on the earth who, who said He didn't even have a place to lay His head down? Do you, do you picture Jesus as innocent victim on the cross, or do you picture Him as He really is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? I don't know about you, but I don't know that it, it could ever be said of me that I've overestimated God. Generally speaking, I think we underestimate God and underestimate Jesus, just how great and powerful He is. He is the powerful King. He is the powerful King that no matter who is president, they bow before Him. Leading up to this election, uh, why were so many people angry? Because a lot of people are living in fear because what are they believing? If their presidential candidate doesn't get into office, it's doom and gloom, there's no hope. As if this president's going to be the ruler of rulers. They're not. Jesus is the king of kings. He is king over the president. He is king over the kings. He is king over every authority. Think of COVID-19 just has crippled our world and caused us to quake and bend to it. Economies have shut down. Masks are worn. We can't shake hands. We're not supposed to hug. We're supposed to keep social distancing. And yet COVID-19 bends its knee to Jesus. You look at Satan who has caused so much division in this country, so much hatred, and you think there's no match for the devil, and yet even the devil bows his knee to our King Jesus. There is no ruler greater. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is who He is. Now, does that comfort us? Or does it absolutely terrify us? Because we just said some pretty high authoritative things in this world. And if Jesus has control over them, if they bend their knee to Jesus, what does that mean for you and me? It would be absolutely terrifying, except for the next point. Jesus is the King who loves us. That's what John says. To Him who loves us. Most kings love to be king because it gives them power. It gives them prestige. It gives them wealth. Most people, most kings, would, I would probably say, love their country. But do they always love their people? We just closed up a, a series on judges, and we saw leader after leader come through. And would you say any of them really loved the people? It's hard to point to one of those leaders and say, yes, they loved the people. But Jesus does. He loves you. He loves me. Though the devil tried to get him to, to, to fall into temptation, to think only about himself, like Samson, though he tried to get Jesus to, to uh, only want power and glory, like Gideon, it didn't work on Jesus. Because Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you always. 
And he loved you so much that John tells us he's done three things for you. Number one, he has freed you from, our, from your sins by his own blood. He freed you from the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin. Not by force, not with an army, not by simply decreeing it. Jesus left his throne to come and die for you and me, to shed his blood so that we have forgiveness. And that's what we saw in John chapter 18, didn't we? Jesus said, for this very reason, I came into the world. I am standing before you, Pontius Pilate, because I came into the world to do this very thing, to shed my blood so that my people's sins would be forgiven, so that they are free from the bondage of sin, from its control and from the consequence of sin. You and I stand before God right now forgiven and dearly loved because our King shed His blood for us. And if that's all He did, we would say, praise God. That's more than we could ever ask or imagine because hell is so terrible that being just free of hell would be one of the greatest gifts we could ever be been given. But He gives you two more gifts. He loves you so much that John says He's freed us and He's made us into a kingdom. He's made you into a kingdom. He's brought you into His kingdom that is forever, that is eternal, that will never end, where death can't touch, where hardships can't touch, where persecution can't touch. You are part of that kingdom, and you're not just some peasant off in the corner just lucky to be there. Jesus says you rule with him. This world is filled with so many defeating things. All the hardships make us feel defeated again and again, and yet this should lift our spirits. You are part of the kingdom that is victorious. You are a victor in every single circumstance. Whether you're winning in an earthly perspective or losing in an earthly perspective, you are a winner because you belong to the kingdom of God. And that kingdom wins. And then number three, he loves you so much, he made you a priest. Priest before God. A priest served God day and night in his temple offering prayers on, your behalf, on their behalf and on behalf of the people. They serve God in every facet, and that's what he's done for you. You never have to wonder, what's my purpose in life? Because Jesus has made you a priest before God. You always have a purpose when it comes to being a Christian and being in the family of God. This is the God who loves you. This is what he's done. He's freed you from your sin. He's made you into a kingdom and he's brought you and he's made you a priest. And then he says, look, I'm coming back and I'm going to get justice for all of the people that have caused you hardships. All of the, those who persecute the church. All of those who are against God. All of those who are against Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get justice on your behalf. This is what he promises you. And yet, a promise is only as good as the one who makes it, right? It's great to know that we have forgiveness. It's great to know that we are part of the kingdom, a priest. It's great to know that Jesus is the ruler of all. But what if it changes? What if those promises change? Because that's what we know, right? 
We live in a world that is constantly changing. Circumstances change. What if those promises change? There's an episode of The Office that shows this so well. If any of you, how many of you watch The Office? Yeah. So it's with Michael Scott. Kathleen, did, did you raise your hand? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> so The Office is, is with uh, Steve Carell as Michael, and, and he's kind of this buffoon of a boss. And we find out in one of the later episodes that Michael, 10 years before, went to visit this uh, underprivileged school of third graders. And he promises to those third graders, if you graduate high school, I will pay for your college tuition. And that hope of getting out of poverty, that hope of a brighter future, motivated them, and they all passed. They excelled academically. They held on to that promise. And so at the end, they bring Michael in to honor him, to say, look at, because of your promise, look, we have all graduated. And Michael has to stand up and say, I thought I, he actually said, I thought I'd be a millionaire by now, but I'm not, so I can't pay for your college tuition. But I do want to help. And a lot of classes are on, online now, and so all of you will need laptops. But I couldn't afford laptops, so here's some laptop batteries. And that promise was gone, just like that. The promise motivated them, and yet the promise changed because circumstances changed. Jesus has promised us a lot. He promises that he is the ruler of rulers. He's the king of kings. He promises you that you are forgiven. He promises you that you are brought into his kingdom that will never end. He promises you that you are a priest before God. But will that promise change? No. And it's because of the last aspect that John says. In a changing world, Jesus is a changeless king. And here's what he says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Greek alphabet letters, Greek letters in the alphabet, the first Alpha the very last letter, Omega. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I am, I was, and I am to come. I am the unchanging, eternal God. And I stand on my throne. Amen. Think of what this means for you. Think of what this means for you and me. We don't have a God on His King. We don't have a King who changes out every four years on election day. We don't have a king who can be overthrown. We don't have a king who changes his mind. When he promises you something, he is never changing. He is a changeless king in a, changeless, in a changing world. And that does so many great things for you and me. Number one, if you are struggling with a sin, if you're struggling and you can't break it, it's easy to feel defeated. You wake up in the morning and you just know there's a good chance that I'm going to fall into that sin again today. I don't want to, but I'm struggling so badly. You have a king on the throne who has freed you from the bondage to sin. You have a king that every authority, even sin, bows its knee to, and he loves you, and he's on your side. You have access to that powerful king. 
You never have to wake up feeling defeated. Number two, if, if, if you fall into sin, even if it's a big public sin, you fall from public grace, your king stands on his throne and he declares, you are forgiven. He has freed you from your sin. And that promise isn't dependent on whether you're a good little boy or a good little girl. That promise is dependent on Him. And He promises that you are completely forgiven. And that stands forever. As we live in this world with broken relationships, we know that the King who sits on His throne is a master at reconciliation. Because that's what He's done for you and me. He's the master at bringing enemies to friends. He's the master at bringing enemies and making them His children. He can reconcile whatever relationship, you, uh, whatever relationship problems you have because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As you face sicknesses, your King is the one who's literally conquered death. As you face all kinds of problems and hardships, your King is the one who's been victory, victorious over them all. And He never changes. He never changes. This is the God that we have. This is the King we have sitting on His throne. This is why we have peace. But now the question is, what do we need to change? We still haven't answered that yet. Here's the answer to the original question. What do we need to change? It's not anything about our circumstances at all. What you and I need to change is our perspective of who Jesus is. Of who He is. He isn't just a baby born in a manger. He's not the poor, humbled servant walking on the earth. He's not an innocent victim. He is the King of kings who is in charge and in control of every aspect of your life. He is the King who loves you. He is the King who never changes. May this, be, may this promise of who your King is be with you this week and bring you comfort and peace. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And you rule over everything. And it's you, our great King, that loves us so dearly that you came to this world to forgive us of our sins so that we can approach Your throne of grace where we find mercy, forgiveness, and love. It's at Your throne of grace that we find the power to fight against uh, this dark world. It's at Your throne of grace that we find encouragement, motivation when our hearts are feeling defeated. It's there that we find everything we need to live in this world knowing that You are in charge and ruling all things for our good. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter the circumstances we are going through, give our hearts peace as we focus once again on just how great and glorious our King of Kings is who sits on His throne. Our world may change, but you do not. And that's where we find hope, comfort, and peace. In your name we pray. Amen. Part of tradition in Christian worship is that we say a statement of faith known as a creed. And today we're going to say the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed was written around 325 A.D. Uh, at the Council of Nicaea, and it was written because uh, false teachings about who Jesus is
started to creep into the church. And so they said, we, we've got to get back on track here. Here is what's